drink this cup and eat this. He was talking about their meals when they sit down for a dinner. He's like, as often as you do this, remember what the Lord has done for you. So it's common for us, we keep crackers and juice in the house and... Uh, even just this week, just to give you a real-time testimony of the power of communion, Robin had texted me at work and she said, you know, Montgomery's he's been really sluggish today, he keeps laying down on the couch and falling asleep, which he's the Energizer battery, he doesn't usually do that. And so she says, he's just not feeling good, all he wants to do is snuggle, and so the, I came home from work and there he is asleep on the couch, and I woke him up and I said, hey Gummy, you want to have communion? And he said, yeah, and he hadn't eaten anything all day. And so I broke a little cracker off, handed it to him, poured some juice, we prayed and had communion, and within 10 minutes he was running circles around the room. So the, the body that was broken for you is for your healing. Those stripes were for a reason. He didn't need to take those stripes to save your soul. He took those stripes for your healing here and now on this earth. And so as often as you drink this cup or eat this meal, do it in remembrance for those stripes were for you and that blood was broken for you. Amen? Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we just thank you for another opportunity where we can gather and open your word. We thank you for the directions you've been taking us lately and we just have an excitement in our heart for your goodness, your mercy, your love, Lord. I thank you that there's nowhere else I would rather be than right here, right now, looking at your word, receiving from it, because your word is life, it is health to all my flesh, it takes me places that I never I knew I could know, and so I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take hold with us this morning with the word, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, how's everybody doing? Good. You ready to go on for a roller coaster ride this morning? You ready to hold on to your seats and run as fast as you can? Good, good, because that's how we're going to go. <laughs> We're going to try and wrap up our end time series, and I said that last week, but as I was meditating more on it this week, it was just there's some areas that I was like, if we don't talk about this, these areas, I feel like we didn't do a, the, this topic justice. And last week we were talking about how there's contrasting events happening as we lead up to the return of Christ. There's the falling away, and then there's the increase of those coming to Christ. And we talked about the different character of heart that would lead to that. And we looked at what the Word was saying about why someone would fall away. And you know, a falling away doesn't happen in a moment. It happens a step at a time. And that's something we, in every area of our lives, we need to be cognizant of what we're doing, not occasionally, but what we're doing daily, because we're either moving ourselves towards a greater realization of the love of God, or we're moving ourselves away from His presence. You know, we get that choice. He moves, He's the same yesterday and forever. His throne never moves, but yet He tells us to come boldly, yeah. right? Yeah. So the choice is always put on us of whether we're moving our lives towards him or moving our lives away from him. And so it said in, in when we were looking at the parable last week that there, the things that would drive someone away from God are they let the cares of the world get between them and God. They let the desire for other things get between them and God. And so only we can tend the garden of our heart. But as we look at the topic of end times as a whole, there's some things that we need to realize. It's going to be really awesome for us and really crappy for the world. And we have to understand that. Last week we talked about that we are the salt 
of this world. And he was not talking about seasoning a meal. He was talking about salt was a preservative to them. Just think of what will happen when the church is removed from this earth and there now is no longer that preservative. Things do not look good for them. The book of Revelations talks about all these different wars that are going to happen. The the book of Daniel tells us that the world is going to be reformed basically into four different empires. We We won't get into that of all the different ways we could look at it. But for those who are left behind after God takes his church out of here, it's not a good thing. It's not good for them. It's our job here and now to reach them while we can. And so for us, things look good. And as as believers, I believe we're all born again here in this room. We need to look at what is next for us. What's going on? Because it's not going to be boring, that's for sure. And the thing that we have to look forward to right here, right now, as we preached in the second week, is that Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his body. He's coming to get the band back together. He's getting the kids. He's coming home, and he wants to throw a party with you. And so when it looks like from our side, we need to keep the perspective of what's going on with us next, because there's great days ahead for you. And we want to take as many people with us to those great days. So Jesus is coming back again. And that needs to, a fire needs to get lit in the body of Christ this day to that revelation. This should be on the tip of every Christian's thought that Christ is coming back. You realize that for his first coming, there were, for every one verse, we have eight times more verses for his second coming. And so even though we have more, you look at like Jesus' first coming, there was only two people in the temple on the day that he entered Jerusalem that were there expectant for him. We have Anna and Simeon. They were there, led by the Holy Spirit with expectation that the Messiah was coming. I need to be in the temple today. And guess what? They were right there when they needed to be there. You know that the Lord can work with you ahead of time to get you prepared for that day. So when the day comes, you're already standing on the doorstep saying I welcome you Jesus I'm ready to come home there should be a fire in our hearts and an expectation that you know the day is approaching and he's coming back for you if we look at it from Paul's perspective he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit 12 times but he talked about the return of the Lord 52 times so we need to put the emphasis where the emphasis should be Jesus is coming back and there's some things that are said about what our, our heart expectations. We talked about the character and the expectations of the world and those we're supposed to turn away from those ideas. But what heart should we have? This is what the Bible says about these topics. He wants you not to be troubled. He wants you not to be deceived. He wants you to be happy, hopeful, and comforted. That's what he said you should have as your stability of heart. He doesn't want you deceived. And how do you know you're being deceived? If you're not happy about what's about to come, 
you know you've been deceived. If you're troubled about what's around the corner, you're being deceived. If you're not hopeful about what tomorrow brings for you, you're being deceived. If there's no comfort that is being drawn into your heart, you know you're being deceived because the Word of God should always light a fire of expectancy in you. It should never make you feel like, oh, I just don't want to get up today because Jesus may return. No, it should be like, man, I've got work to do. There's things that I need to do. I need to get my running shoes on and let's run this race right till the end. I don't slow down at the finish line. I speed up. I'm, gonna, I'm beating everybody to the line. I'm going to do everything I can. And so these are the, the, the expectations that should be in our hearts. We should be happy, hopeful, comforted, lack of fear in these areas, and definitely not being deceived about them. The book of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly. And if that was written 2,000 years ago, how much more quickly can it be? It's if they were expectant in that day, how much more expectant we should be today? And he said, My reward is with me to give to each one or everyone according to his work. I love how the message translation says, He says, Yes. I'm on my way and I'll be there soon. <laughs> Makes it so simple. I'm coming. You know, you know, you ever have that friend when they say that, that they're going to be at their house, you know that they're going to be there early, they're going to be on the doorstep, versus other friends who, like, they say, oh, yeah, I'm on my way, and you know they haven't even gotten out of bed and gotten dressed yet? You know, Jesus is not the lazy friend. He's the one that when he says something, you can take it to the bank. He's on his way. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the first and the last, and blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter through the gates of the city. Whew, I like that, that they may have the right to the tree of life. God took it up out of the earth when Adam and Eve fell, and he put it in heaven, and it's waiting for you there to partake of that tree of life. But the first part of that verse says, blessed are those who do his commandments. And, you know, in the New King James, in the King James, it's written this way, but all of the other translations read it a little bit different. And in the Amplified, it says this, blessed are those who cleanse their garments, that they may have the authority and the right to approach the tree of life and enter through the gates of the city. What is he talking about when he says, blessed are those who cleanse their garments? Well, that's a pulling out of Revelation chapter 7, where they talk about the same thing. But we have to understand the type of robes that you wear in the Spirit. Isaiah 61, which is Jesus' proclamation, by the way, when he came into the temple in Luke chapter 4, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Behold, I'm going to set the captives free. It goes on to say this. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And so he says that he has given to you, not that you have to try and obtain, he has given you the garments of salvation and the robes of righteousness. So when Revelation 22 says those who cleanse their garments, who's he talking about? He's talking about those who believe in Jesus. You can't get yourself any more ready than getting plunged under the blood. You can't get yourself any more ready than receiving the free gift of Jesus Christ. I love what Psalm chapter 132 says. He says, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. 
Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Do you not know that you are kings and priests unto God? Isn't that what the Bible says in the New Testament? You are kings and priests unto God, so you should be robed and clothed in righteousness. Well, that's not something that you have to do, because 2 Corinthians 5 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Amen. So when it says, blessed are those who cleanse their garments, you are cleansed by the washing flow of the blood of Jesus. When all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, those who have the right and the authority into the tree of life and through the gates of the city, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the blood-bought saints. Amen? Amen. Whoo! Come on, you guys, I'm preaching better than you're following. There should be a fire in our hearts that you can't sit still. It's just, my God, we're going home, we're going to heaven, and it's going to be a wild ride. And why should there be an expectation in our heart? Well, if we drop down to verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts Come, and whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. The Holy Spirit who has come to make his home inside of you, the words on his mouth are, come Lord Jesus. Let's finish this. Come on down. And it says, and the bride. Well, who's the bride? You are. You are the bride of Christ. You know, there's a joke that's saying, women, you have to get used to being called the sons of God, and we have to get, men have to get used to being called the bride of Christ. He's not using that in gendered terms, but he has chosen you as his bride, whom he deeply loves, who he's coming back for. And we see this picture in John chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, let not your heart be troubled. Again, you shouldn't be troubled, you shouldn't be deceived, you should be happy, hopeful, and comforted. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Everyone say, for me. For me. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I would love to see the picture on the disciple's face right here, because if you understand Jewish culture, he just proposed to them. They're probably like, Jesus, why did you just propose to us? You're a dude, we're dudes, You're like this is not how this goes. But he said to them, and this is what would happen, is a bridegroom would go to the bride and her family, and he would negotiate an agreement. And it would be signed and sealed. And how was it signed and sealed in our case? By the blood of Jesus. And then the bridegroom would say, okay, I'm going to build space for you. And he would leave and prepare a place for her. And then he would come back and there'd be a shout saying, the bridegroom has come for the bride. Why do you think Jesus is coming back with the voice of an archangel and a shout from heaven? He's coming back for his bride. 
And right now he has gone to prepare a place for you where he says, in my father's house, there's many mansions. And that word means dwellings, places to live. He has made a place specifically for you. And you know, the great thing about God when he designs things for you, he knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you like. He knows exactly what you would want. And I'm, I don't think any of us are going to walk through into our space and be like, I hate it. <laughs> no, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I couldn't have thought of it any better if I tried to do it myself when he knows all the thoughts and the intents of your heart and he has spent this last time preparing place for you. Man, that's going to be a day. And so he comes back for us. He gathers his church in. The world begins to fall apart because without the church as that preservative, things get worse and worse very quickly. There's going to be lots of different wars, lots of different things going on, but what happens for us during that time? Well, we go up to something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I was reading about this this week, and it just brought such a joy to my heart. And Revelations 19, 5, it says, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God. All you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now, you, let's just paint the picture. Have you ever been into a sports uh, stadium where it's packed to capacity, and the team comes on to the field, and everyone goes, ah! and the building just shakes. It's like, that is just an amazing sound. Now put it in context. All saints past, present, and future standing in heaven. And the bridegroom says, I'm coming. I'm the Lord God Almighty. Prepare yourselves. And all the saints of heaven let out a shout that begins to shake even the foundations of the place where they are standing. And the, they scream out, say, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints and then he said to me write this is a specific instruction to John to write down and he says blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb specifically writing to you, blessed are you, who've been called to that party. And he said to me, these are true sayings of God. It's kind of like when he says, starts any of his conversations off and he says, truly, truly, he's trying to get your attention. When he tells you something's true, that means that there's going to be people that are going to try and convince you that it's not says, these are true sayings of God. Now, I came across something interesting a few weeks ago. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher, they called him the Prince of Preachers, and 133 years ago on August 21st was preaching on this very topic of the marriage supper of the land, and I just thought it was just so amazing how he worded it. And he said, the marriage supper of the Lamb, it will be a publication to all of the great fact of the mutual love and union. He says, moreover, the picture of the marriage supper is intended to set forth the overflowing mutual delight and joy 
There's too much joy for two. <laughs> I like that. There's too much joy for two, meaning there's too much joy for the bridegroom and there's too much joy for the bride. Meaning he's happy about what's about to take place. And he says they are so happy that they invite others to come in and share the banquet. So in those days, how delighted this blessed Christ and his church will be with one another. How the church will rejoice in him and how he will rejoice in the church. And what hallelujahs will they raise to him? And oh, what delight will he look upon all his people and see in them neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing because his blood has cleansed them and his spirit has perfectly sanctified them. Hallelujah. It says, brethren, just to add one other thought, that marriage feast will be the grandest display of Christ's magnificent munificence in a banquet. <laughs> Throws in some big words. <laughs> grandest display of Christ's magnificent munificence and if people do ever make little more show than on one occasion it is usually the marriage feast and oh what a show <laughs> let's say that again oh what a show Christ will make on that day Depend upon it. There will be no little show when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels with him, with the very clouds of heaven to be the dust of his feet. Then shall his church come before him in all the glory he has given to her. Hallelujah. Her raiment shall be of wrought gold. There is no luster, no beauty, no excellence that can be compared with that which Christ will put upon his church. Can't even describe it. She will admire him, and he will admire her. She will bless him, and he will bless her. Oh, I talk but feebly about the lofty things that need a poet's eye or a poet's tongue. Nay, put away your poetry. <laughs> the soberest language that can be uttered might better fit a theme in which the highest sublimities must be simplicities. I do want you all to believe that there is to be a day when all the chosen seed, blood-bought and saved, will make one body, and Christ shall come and glorify them in himself in a union that shall never know end, though the ages roll on forever and forever. What he said right there at the end struck something in me, that as the ages roll on forever and forever, what did he say? His expectation isn't that heaven will just always be the same. Forever is the length of time. Forever is the ever-increasing goodness of it. So on the day we enter into heaven, It'll be bla a blast. The marriage supper of a lamb will be awesome, but it will only go on forever and get better. Eternity does not breed monotony. Eternity, it just can't be compared to what our minds can fa fathom. So we're going to be up there, and you know, if you read the language of it, it's going to be a year-long feast. <laughs> Have you ever ate that long and partied that hard? Get ready, it's going to happen. 
And when we've been there for just a while, it comes time for the return of the king to this earth. And in Revelation chapter 19, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his heads were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. What is that name? It says that God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. He has it written on him so that everyone knows that there's no higher than that position and it says he was clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood what blood is it dipped in it's dipped in his own blood that has perfectly purchased mankind for all eternity so that all those who call upon the name of the lord shall be saved and his name is called the word of god that's why john starts his gospel with the word became flesh and dwelt among us and the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. you got to think about this. As he heads back to the earth, so do you. You get on that horse and you ride right behind him. And I love how Paul uh, describes it, because right now, at that point, there'll be chaos going on on the earth. The Antichrist will be trying to destroy everybody who's left. And it's, Paul said that with the breath of his coming, he will cease to exist. There's not even a fight at the end. It's just whew, done. That's amazing to me. And after all that, there'll still be people alive, believers and unbelievers, because you've got to think of what's going to happen after you're raptured out of here. Everyone that you've been impacting will recognize you're gone and you, what you had been saying all those years. You know, there's some that believe uh, pre-trib rapture, some believe mid-trib rapture, and I seem to land in the same category of what Joe Morris would. He believes in multiple raptures, that God is faithful. He does not desire that any should perish. And so there's going to be those that are joining us, but when we come back, there's going to be people who believe and people that don't believe and will go on to reign with Christ for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. And the crazy fact about that, we're not going to get deep into it today, is that after a thousand years of Christ being present, us being there among him, there's still people who don't want to follow him. And at the end of that thousand years, he wraps it up, and we go on to the great white throne judgment. And now, you know, I hear so many people talk about this, that God's going to judge his church. He can't judge his church. He already judged him on the back of Jesus. But what will be open that day is the Lamb's book of life. And when you stand before it, your name will be there. And he'll say, hey, my kid, my kid. And I love what Paul talks about here. And uh, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds upon it. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is what our lives should be built on, every aspect. But not all of us build on Jesus. You know, most of us spend a lot of time building our own kingdoms. And do you want to know what's going to happen to those kingdoms? It says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on his foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, it says each one's work will become clear. For the day, what day are we talking about? That day at the throne. The day will declare it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so when we look at the, our life's work piled up before him, that which is not designed and ordained by God will burn away. And everything that we did, that he asked us to do, that he directed us in, and the footsteps that we followed in after him, that will remain and will receive a reward for being faithful for what he asked us to do. And I know that in that day, I don't want to stand before God and say, I wasted my years on this earth doing things that benefited me and not benefiting him. Because each one of us as children of God have a, a place in the body of Christ. The ministry that we've all been given was not being just given to pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets. It's been given to each one of us, everyone. There are things that God has put in your heart that only you can do. And in that day, we will see exactly, clearly, what was of value and what was not of value. Oh, come on, it's getting a little quiet there. But that's the reality. Think of the parable of the talents. He gave one five. He gave another two talents. And he gave one one talent. What happened to the guy with five? He turned it into five more. And God said to him, well done, no good and faithful servant. What happened with the guy with two? He turned the two into four. And he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What happened with the guy with the one? I hid it in the ground. I did nothing with it. Here, take your talent back. And then God said, take the one talent and give it to the one with the guy with ten. And so the things that we do in this life will have impact in how we rule and reign with him for eternity. So take heed of how you build. Amen? Well, I can see that that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> Keep smiling, nobody even know. But when you stand before God, you have nothing to fear because all those who believe have been written in his book. And it says that he knows who are his. So what happens after that? Heaven. And what can we say about heaven? It will be glorious. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and he shall, they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, that's what we were singing about this morning. You know, Christopher didn't know what I was preaching on today, but yet all of the songs that he picked out perfectly reflected that. Jesus is coming, and whoa, what a party it's going to be. There'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I, will make, all, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, 
for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Verse 9 is interesting. It says, then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues came to me and talked with me and said, come, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. How was he showing him the bride? Where do you think the bride is? In the city with God. And it says, having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names written on them were the names of the 12 tribes of children of Israel. Why why is 12 significant? It is the, the, the number of authority. And where does the all authority of the universe sit? It sits where God is. And so his city is built on numbers of 12, just as a representation of that. And three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I think that's funny, or not funny, but interesting that he loved his, peop- his, his disciples on earth so much that he wrote their names on the foundation of the city. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great, great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and its breadth and its height are equal. How much is 12,000 furlongs? It's over 2,400 kilometers square. This way, this way, most people don't realize this way. It's probably like, I don't know how to just like just what John's seeing, but it's probably like multi-tiered and man, it's going to be beautiful. It says he measured his wall and it 144 cubits according to the measure of man, that is of an angel. How much is 144 cubits? The walls are 216 feet thick. Those are some big walls. But it's interesting that he says that of the measure of a man that is of an angel, meaning the angel that's measuring is about the same size as a man. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't, aren't bigger angels out there, but the one that was doing the measuring was the same size as John, and a cubit is about 18 inches, so he's saying that this guy was about the same size as him. And he said the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. Now, we have to understand that gold in, in its purest form, 100%, is not clear. So what John is trying to describe is just indescribable in his mind. He just chose the most precious thing that he could think of, which is gold, but he says it's also clear. Now, it's interesting to think of why everything in the city of God is so beautiful and so pure, but also clear. Do you want to know why? Because wherever you are, you'll be able to see God. You can be just going about your day, wherever you are in the city, and just go, oh, there he is. I see his light. I see his goodness. I see his love. 
It says, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, and the foundation was with jasper, second sapphire, the third sheldonsi, and the fourth emerald, the fifth, and we just go on through all these beautiful jewels. Verse 21, he says, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. That's one big clam. <laughs> but just think, just one giant pearl that they carved through to make a gate. And the city, the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Think about the parallel of the time we live in right now. He said, I'll come and make my home in you. That he was going to make you a mobile temple. And so if we think of all the beauty and the splendor of heaven that is described in those verses that we just read, that currently exists in you. And so as great as heaven will be when we behold it with our physical eyes, we have to understand that right now heaven is already in you. Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so everything we described about heaven, I want you to understand there's no lack of power in you right now. So how can you take this world? How can you be an impact? How can you be successful? How can you be a light? How can you be salt? How, can that, how is that even possible? It's already in you. It's already in you. If we drop to verse chapter 22, he says, and he showed me a pure river the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. And in the middle of the street, there's a river of life that just flows right down through the center of the city. Now, what did I just say about heaven already being in you? What did Jesus say? He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Why do they flow out of your belly? Because heaven already got inside of you. Yeah, yeah. And on each side of the river was the life which bore 12 fruits, and each tree yielding fruit in its month, which means that we will live in a state of perpetual harvest. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And when I think about that, every hurt and every sorrow and every pain that you ever could have thought of or experienced, he has a healing balm for. That will completely soothe, will completely rejuvenate. But it's more so important that right now, let go of those hurts and let the healing flow to you now. Yeah. Why wait for heaven when he already brought heaven to you? And he said, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. 
There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I like that idea, and it, makes, it point, paints a picture of something that Jesse Duplantis saw when God had taken him to heaven. If you ever get a chance to read his book, Close Heaven, Close Encounters of the God Kind, it's just amazing. But at one point, he's there, and he's talking, and it's light out. But then he said it's like all of a sudden it started getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's like, how can light already be brighter? And Jesus walked up over the hill. <laughs> and it was just the light that was emanating from him, his goodness and his glory and all his beauty just lit up everything where he went. Lord, light me up. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he just got bleached poof, with light. When Moses interacted with God, he came down and he glowed like a light bulb yeah. to be amongst that perpetually. And it ends this way. He says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. And John adds, even so, come Lord Jesus. Jesus' words or I'm coming quickly, I'm coming for you because I love you and I've got great things in store for you. Father, we thank you for your expectant return. We thank you that the day is approaching where we shall see you face to face. I thank you for the joy that that gives me. You are just so good. Come on, why don't we stand up to our feet for a second and lift up our hands. Father, we just thank you for how good you are. Oh, we thank you for your love, Lord. I thank you for your goodness to be with you forever. Lord, that's what I desire to be with you to be with you, Lord. There's nothing else I desire than to be with you, Lord. Jesus, we say come, Lord Jesus. you father oh we give you glory 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 mm. <laughs> oh 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit just reminded me of something. You know, I've, I've found like more and more as I, as I grow up in God, I meet other people where God has taken them and given them glimpses of heaven. And I myself have had several experiences, which I don't talk about and I probably will never talk about because I believe the word of God should be your anchor and not somebody else's experience. But something that just popped up in my heart is I probably know over a dozen people who've had glimpses of heaven and not a single one said, it sucked. <laughs> Why? Because God, you're good. Yes, you are so good. God, you're good. You are so good. God, you're good. Hallelujah. So, Father, we just align our words with what John said. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We expect you. We look for you. And even more as we see the day approaching. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you want to partner with us today in giving your tithes, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give or there's the basket at the back but father we thank you for these seeds that we get to sow we thank you that you said as long as the earth remains that seed time and harvest remains so we sow this day with expectancy of harvest and we thank you for it in jesus name amen well, you guys are all blessed. Have a wonderful week. And remember, Jesus is coming soon.